Good morning and welcome to the Florida Supreme Court. The first case on today's docket is the Florida Bar versus Payne. May it please the court. My name is Martin Payne. I'm representing myself in this proceeding. I've been a member of the Florida Bar since 1985 and during that 35 year period up to including today, no client or any other member of the public has complained to the Florida Bar about my conduct. I have a small transactional pra uh, practice and I've not only not had any complaints, but also not a single title claim in 35 years. I've learned a lot about the Florida Bar disciplinary system over the last couple of years. I've learned that like any large organization, they are only as good as the systems they have in place and the individuals that operate within that system. I also learned that they make mistakes. The first mistake by the Florida Bar is that for almost a year of this process, they mistook my identity for a different person with a similar name. Well after my deposition, probable cause, and the pleadings, we were assigned Judge Coleman as the referee and he scheduled a conference. At that time, he informed us that he had been assigned this case as the referee because he had previously handled my case, my Florida Bar disciplinary case related to my criminal conviction for battery on my spouse. I said, Your Honor, that was not me. That is a different person. And he looked at me and he said, yeah, it was not you. After the conference, I asked Matt Flickia, then Florida Bar Council, has now left the bar and went to work for the uh, firm that the only his star witness was working for. Uh, but we'll get to that later. I asked him if he knew they had the wrong guy. And did that affect anything in opening this matter or moving it forward? He just shrugged. And when I got back to the office, I called the Florida Bar and I asked for a supervisor. And Adric Quintella called me back and I asked her if this had any impact on opening this matter or moving anything forward. She said it was irrelevant. She also is no longer with the Florida Bar. I can assure you that it matters that a person is mistaken for someone who has criminally assaulted, has a criminal record for criminally assaulting his wife when that is simply okay. not well, counsel, and, and, You know, <clears throat> we're here on specific charges. Uh, uh, that have been adjudicated and the recommendation based on those and I you know you can proceed however you want but I think you're you're better to focus on why you think uh, the specific charges are not supported by the record um, and otherwise the focused on on what we specifically have before us it's a pattern your honor that didn't appear until after the trial the week before the trial the witness leaves her leaves her job where I alleged she has greeted evidence the week after the trial mr. flicker who essentially wrote the proposed report of referee which was 95 percent adopted by judge Coleman so the person that essentially wrote the report of referee leaves the Florida bar as well. For example, do you contest that you um, directly solicited a client in contravention of the solicitation rules that govern attorney conduct? Yes, I did not solicit a client. I, at that time, we contacted the, the people as, a, as an investor, and I was one of eight people in an investor group. I didn't, I didn't start representing the client until probably about a month later. There was no, it did not ever solicit anybody. The, 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 the Florida Bar rules don't exist in a, fact, in, in a vacuum. They, they only exist if, if people have, that have the knowledge of actually what happened here in, a short, in processing a short sale. And at some point in the process, Mr. Gilks, who was in huge financial distress, asked if I could represent him on the short sale. And the reason he did that is because he had purchased the property at a short sale and he knew it was possible. These people had $398,000 in student loans. 
they, they had uh, a car repossessed. They had no chance of, of getting out of this situation. I could have said, hey, no, I'm not going to represent you. But I, but I said, yeah, I'll take on your case because it's the very type of people that the Florida Bar for 35 years said that we should try to represent. So, um, so you, your, your real estate investment firm that you're an owner in purchased the lien rights and foreclosed on the property that the person owned, is that correct? Yes, we purchased property at auction. And, and then we reached out to them to see if they wanted to, us to help reinstate their mortgage and work with them to try to sell the property and make a profit that way. When that became not realistic, there was no equity in the property, then he asked me if I would represent him. And at that point, I said yes. But initially, I didn't reach out to him to be his attorney. I do virtually no litigation. And the only litigation was done in this matter was to hold off the foreclosure, which you're entitled to do under, Do under the Dodd-Frank rule against, against dual tracking for, in order for the short, tail, short sale to proceed. I, I think that if you take a look at this, at this trial. So you, didn't make any, you, you didn't make any filings in court um, before you had a relationship representing the individual you're talking about? Correct. We, we discussed that the very first thing I filed was a motion to get the reinstatement, which was to find out if there was equity in the property or not. Was there an attorney-client relationship then? Uh, when I filed the, the uh, document, yes. And he, and he said as much in, in his deposition. So what's the explanation for the September 2016 letter where they said after the filings had been made that you, in fact, weren't their lawyer? The, the, initial, the initial document was because this, this, this is a young couple who was extremely scared. So he looked at the court document. What it said was that someone filed the document. It was actually the, the opposing counsel, but it was, it was a non-military affidavit, which is fairly standard in, in a foreclosure proceeding. He thought that it was a military affidavit, and he said he and Nicole had never been in the military, and that, that's what that letter says. And how this started was 11 months after that, well into the short sale representation, Helen Scala goes before Judge Cook and says, I don't represent Mr. and Mrs. Gilks, when for 11 months we had worked together on the, on the short sale. In fact, she had required at some point that every document go straight to her and then to Wells Fargo and back to her and back to us, a situation I'd never, ever had before or since on a short sale. So yes, he did do that letter. He retracted that letter many, many times. And one of the rule violations that I think, you know, let's go back to the trial on, in this situation. What, what you have is, is, it's not a trial like I'd ever seen before or like you'd think. There's no, this big finding of fact. What, what it is is Mr. Flicker comes in and he, and he hands the, the, the matching trial notebook. And they flip through this trial, this trial notebook in chambers about two feet apart in, in rapid, rapid fire succession. And, and I've tried to object because it was just, it's just nonsense. With no understanding of what happened, you, the questions are, are not relevant to, to the rules. And, and so they, they said this is not criminal. Uh, referee Coleman said this is not criminal. This is not civil. It's quasi-judicial, and I'm letting everything in, even hearsay. I objected again. And, you know, with, with, with they're trying just throwing in documents, basically just as fast as you could, you could, you could fill out forms and put them in the, in the record. That's how fast that this, this, thing, this thing went. The second time I objected, he said if I did it again, he was going to have me removed from chambers. So I sat there, and for 35 minutes, I watched a 35-year uh, career go down the tubes with nonsense from someone who, who had never closed a real estate transaction. When, you say, when you say chambers, uh, are you talking about this hearing the, being conducted in open court or back in the judge's office? In the judge's uh, office. In the judge's office. Yeah. Okay. 
And they, and he, he, the, you said right? They're literally the matching notebooks were couldn't have been two two feet apart, and they just they just flipped through them as fast as you could flip through them, with with no opportunity to to object. And and, and he said, you know, you'll get your chance, and I'll let everything in that you have too. So this whole idea that there's this vetting of, of, of evidence or, or or anything like that, it simply didn't happen um, in this case. And th this, this are, court are you saying you were denied a right to testify or present whatever evidence you wanted? No, I was able to to to, okay. to, to testify, but and and to present the evidence I wanted. You know, in fact, even my wife testified, and and Judge Coleman was looking out the window the entire time. But yes, I was allowed to to present that, and they just put everything in. But if you're looking to check the boxes of the of the rules, uh, the elements or whatever of the of the rules violations. Though, I mean, so, here's, the, here's the most absurd one, communication, that I somehow failed to communicate. For a year and a half, every single email Armando Gilks was, was on. We talked by phone, we communicated by text, we communicated by email. I have daughters older than his. I know we talked a lot about parenting. I talked with him over and over. You can't, you can't communicate any better with the client than I did with this client, especially in lieu of that very first letter. I made sure. And yet they said that somehow I failed to communicate, which is normally like if you miss a hearing or, or you miss a filing or something like that. The, the, the is, it your, is it your contention that there was no conflict of interest? The, if I had to do one thing over again, I would, I would not submit the first contract with myself being the president of the so company. So you, you, you recognize that there was a conflict of interest and you did not get a waiver? I don't believe that you can have a conflict of interest in a short sale because the, you, the party that you're dealing with is the lender, is who the seller of the, of the property is, and, it's, and it was not my, my client. But in abundance of caution, as soon as that was pointed out, I immediately withdrew that contract, submitted a new contract that I had no financial interest in whatsoever, and we even ended it, I said, that, you know, there's no need to quit claim the property because, you know, a lot of times in real estate, it comes in and the husband and wife are on the property, but only the wife's going to sell or it's in a probate. So you change the, the entity at, at, at right before closing. They said, no, we want you to give the property back to the Gilks now. I talked to my investors. They said, fine. So we gave the property back to the investors now. So we, we cracked it, I, I mean, believe. When you take off your attorney hat and put back on your real estate investing hat, when you approached the Gilks originally, um, it, I understand it wasn't to represent them. You're saying it, it, it really was to try to get the property, correct? We already had the property. We purchased the property at auction. Well, to, so we to, reached to out deal to with to the, help them. To deal with the first mortgage. Correct. To get it without that first mortgage, because it was no... To work, with, to work, on, work on paying off or... Right. Or so you were representing your mortgage. own interests, the, the interests of your real estate investing firm in trying to work this out so that you could get rid of the first mortgage and the property that you had acquired, correct? Uh, ultimately, yeah, to, either, to at some point get rid of the, which, which we could do without the guilt as, as well, we could, if, you know, it, there was, you know, we were just trying to help them. So, it, but the whole point of, of, the, of the disciplinary proceeding is, is Florida Bar versus Kane is the protection of the public. And in this situation, the public is entirely missing. There is nobody from the public that appeared. In fact, Mr. Flicker in open court stated, quote, to my knowledge, the bar has not spoken to anyone at Wells Fargo or USDA. I personally have not, Your Honor. So, so you, you didn't need to speak with him in order to advance your personal interests in trying to get rid of the first mortgage and the property that you had acquired. Um, I thought that's why you said you contacted them originally. Originally, we contacted them to see what the value, what the, what the amount was of the first mortgage. That was what was contacted. 
That, that, was the, that was the first thing we needed to find out was what was the outstanding balance on the first mortgage. That's why we contacted them. But then after a period of time, when that didn't work, he asked me if I would represent him in a short okay. sale, and I, and I agreed. So my position is that we always had the best interests of, of USDA, Wells Fargo, and the Gilks in mind. Everything was done for that benefit, and there's nothing that I don't believe that shows to the, to the contrary. But along this way, at some point, the short sale approval letters, when you go to apply for a loan, you can Council, uh, you can keep going, but you now are in your rebuttal time. So um, if you want to reserve some time, you I'll reserve time, Your Honor. Okay. May it please the court, my name is Lindsay Ganand and I am counsel for the Florida Bar. Mr. Payne engaged in egregious cumulative misconduct over a two-year period and he did so for the interests of himself and his company. The record is clear that Mr. Payne directly solicited clients and made no less than 11 misrepresentations to those clients, to opposing counsel, and to the court. And I would like to bring to this court's attention uh, a misrepresentation that Mr. Payne made to you today. When Justice Lawson asked, did you contest that you directly solicited a client, Mr. Payne said, uh, yes, I do. I reached uh, out to them originally as an investor, and I did not represent them until approximately a month later. That is inconsistent with his testimony and the filings that he filed in that foreclosure matter. Uh, he um, purchased the property on August 19th, and he filed his motion to compel for reinstatement on August 25th, six days later, not a month later. So already there's contradictory evidence in front of this court. There were 11, at least 11, misrepresentations made throughout the entirety of this two years. The referee in the matter found his conduct to be deceitful and dishonest, evaluated the credibility of Mr. Payne. And based on that conduct, applied the standards and the case law and determined that disbarment was the appropriate sanction. Uh, the bar supports the referee's recommendation and asks this court to adopt that, uh, the referee's recommendation of disbarment. Can you, I couldn't understand what was going on with the letters from the clients, first saying that um, the respondent wasn't representing them and then later saying something different. Can you explain that? Yes, Your Honor. So the first letter, which was in September, approximately a month after Mr. Payne purchased their uh, property, saying that there were uh, filings in the foreclosure matter um, that they did not authorize, they had not hired counsel, they had not signed a retainer agreement, and they did not agree with the filings, particularly the motion to compel reinstatement. Uh, approximately a month to two months later, they did uh, sign and file an affidavit with the court that was drafted by Mr. Payne, saying that uh, he was representing them, dating all the way back to August of 2016. But if you review the record in Mr. Gilk's uh, testimony for the court in his deposition, he says um, he doesn't really think of representation in the legal sense. The reason he agreed to sign that affidavit was that he agrees now that Mr. Payne was acting in their best interest. Not that they agreed to the representation and the word representation that Mr. Payne put in the affidavit, but that they think in hindsight he was trying to do good for them back in August of 2016, so he felt comfortable signing an affidavit drafted by Mr. Payne that said they were being represented that entire time. Uh, the referee did, in the report specifically said um, that 
he determined that was due to the insistence of Mr. Payne. And if you review the emails, which are in evidence, uh, you can see Mr. Payne's email to the Gilks saying, uh, your case, the foreclosure case, you're going to be defaulted and your house is going to be foreclosed upon if you do not correct this and tell the judge that I represent you. Here's an affidavit to sign, which they did and then filed. Uh, the referee determined that the Gilks testimony that they were not represented in that pro se letter was the most credible at that time. There are uh, three cases, Your Honors, that do support a finding of uh, disbarment in this case. That would be the Florida Bar v. Klein and the Florida Bar v. Caresco, which were cited in the report of referee, as well as the Florida Bar v. Kane, which was cited in uh, Mr. Payne's initial brief. In all three of those cases, this court disbarred respondents for engaging in conflict of interest and misrepresentation, and they did so when the respondents had no prior discipline, the same as Mr. Payne. Uh, the referee's report is based on competent, substantial evidence. All of the findings are based on competent, substantial evidence, and the sanction is reasonably supported by the case law and the standards. Uh, Mr. Payne has failed to show that either one of those are in error, and for that reason we ask that you accept the referee's recommendations uh, in his entire report. If there are no other questions? Thank you. For almost a year, the Florida Bar thought they were prosecuting a different person with a similar name. So what impact that, had on, that mistake had on my life, we may never know. After trial and the right in the proposed report of referee, which was largely adopted, Mr. Flicker wrote that report. And I, we asked us each after the thing just to submit our proposed. I submitted my proposed report. He submitted his proposed report. He took his almost verbatim. So this, this whole idea that, that, that referee Coleman made that, that the Florida Bar has, has, has immense power, and that's who wrote the report of referee. But that person, I believe, was, 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 who was with the Florida Bar for a relatively short, a little over two years, and is no longer with the report. I think every, every file he touched probably should be reviewed at this point. It's Sir, I'm sorry for interrupting you, but do you have a response to what opposing counsel said about the fact that essentially the record contradicts something that you just told us about the, the two months? Uh, um, in between the first contact and and the representation. So, so, the, so the the I don't know the date we purchased property in August, and in, in September was the first motion that we, we filed on to find out what was the the uh, amount of the, um, the the outstanding amount of, of the mortgage. So the 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 I don't think there's any contradiction at well, all. She said that it was six days later that you filed that, and you told us that it was a couple of months or a month or. I more. don't think it was six days later. Six days. The, t the certificate title may may came out at some point, but the auction itself was was further back in August, and it was it was um, there there was there was there was um, a time gap where at one point that we were we were we were, had my investor hat on, and then it switched over. When he asked me to represent him in the in the short sale later later on, so the last thing is when you apply for a loan, and you, you we proceeded all the way down to to getting the short sale approved. Mrs. We we alleged that Helen Scholar, she said that so you you we've spent seven months putting all the documents in, and then Wells Fargo says we have all the documents we need. We're getting ready to make a decision on on this loan. And then this is the only witness that the Florida Bar had at trial. 
Everything else was just doctors, documents they just pieced together. Because initially when they said I didn't represent him, I sent him 700 pages. I said, I got nothing to hide. Here's everything. Here's every note. Here's every email. Here's everything. And they pieced and, 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 and parsed all that together and tried to come up with something that, that showed that, that um, you know, this, the situation uh, was worse than it was. So the last thing is that the case of Scherer says that the, the disbarment is the same penalty as the the same wrong as the death penalty. And I think that the action in this case and the conduct uh, in no way rises to that level. And we'd ask this court to uh, reverse the decision and then the alternative to uh, reduce the penalty um, to a short suspension. Thank you. All right. We uh, thank you both for your arguments.